It is Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Good show coming up. Kind of our regular Tuesday NFL kind of show. Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a little bit for a film review of the Vikings. Not going to get too technical on this one, but it's pretty interesting. Two things Andrew and I looked at. One, why is a Vikings offense, which is loaded with you know plenty of skill position players, plenty of guys you would think would give them a great chance to score in the red zone, why have they bogged down on red zone offense this year, particularly last game, one of four, I believe, against Tampa Bay. They were one of three in, in, in terms of converting red zone chances into touchdowns. Why is that happening? And on the flip side, um, Vikings blitzed like almost like 80, more than 80% of their plays, defensive plays on Sunday in that 28 24 loss to the Chargers. Is that the right strategy? Why are they blitzing so much? And, you know, what does that say about the rest of the defense and their ability or inability to get pressure with just four rushers? So Andrew and I will get into plenty of that. We will also have Vikings poetry for Vikus off of that loss to the Chargers. And uh, the, the, the best way, of course, to express ourselves is with poetry in these difficult times for the Vikings. Got a Twins playoff thought at the end, and by way of uh, introducing that idea, let me say too, if if you don't get enough Twins content this week, which I hope you will, you will get a whole bunch on Daily Delivery next week, planning a special episode on Monday to advance that playoff series, which almost certainly will start Tuesday um, against the last of the wildcard teams. There'll be three games or best of three, if game three if necessary, all of those games at Target Field next week. So there'll be a special episode to set that up and special episodes off of each of those games that the Twins play in the wildcard round. So we will have lots of Twins content next week in addition to the regular content that you are used to, the regular shows you're used to. So it'll be a busy but fun week next week on Daily Delivery. First, though, what did I miss today? It is a big, big week for uh, for Diamond Sports. Uh, Sports Business Journal framing this as a, quote, defining week for the future of diamond sports that is an article that appeared monday in sports business journal they laid out a lot of the things we've been talking about over the last few months but a lot of these deadlines that we've been talking about a lot of these kind of moments that we've been talking about they are arriving and they're arriving fast it kind of feels like we're going through now with the nba and nhl a lot of the stuff we went through in march and april with major league baseball but we've got the added wrinkle of this um uh, diamond sports contract their their deal with comcast is up at the end of this week and that happens to coincide roughly with the saturday deadline they got already got this extension to renegotiate um, kind of their their debt structure with creditors. They got a, they got an extension on that. They're in this whole big bankruptcy process right now. They got an extension on that a while back, but that extension um, that that lapses on Saturday as well. So big things coming up this week as we kind of suss out the future of Diamond Sports and what that means for uh, for their relationship with teams. Now the first thing it could mean is that they're able to get a get a deal done with Comcast and work through work with their creditors to restructure some of these deals they have with existing teams, which would 
preserve, at least in the short term, I would think a lot of these relationships, a lot of these contracts. And what's, why that is important is we are coming up very quickly on the NBA and NHL seasons. There are basically half the teams in the league, including the Timberwolves and the Wild, who are coming up on you know the start of these seasons with payments due from Diamond Sports very soon. A lot of these teams expecting payments on October 1st, the rest of them expecting payments starting November 1st. Let's say that uh, let's say this happens and that that there's it's kind of business as usual for at least this year that at least preserves a certain status quo. But let's say they are not able to come to an agreement on a carriage deal with Comcast. Comcast, one of the biggest providers, and you've got you've got uh, Directv coming up at the end of October. That contract due at the end of October. Comcast and Directv, according to uh, according to Yahoo Sports. They account for almost half of all of the cable and satellite subscribers that are currently bundled up right now in uh, in this marketplace. That would be essentially what we'd consider a death blow for for Diamond Sports. I would have to imagine they would probably I don't know how they would continue to operate without Comcast because Comcast could start a certain spiral and they have enough they have enough customers in Comcast in general. So that could start a spiral where leagues are then, you know, having to take over broadcast rights just as we saw in a couple cases with Major League Baseball earlier this year with the Padres and the Diamondbacks where they dropped those contracts. Diamond dropped those contracts. Major League Baseball picked up those the operation of those of those teams and and showed them, you know, in both linear and nonlinear forms, which means basically as part of cable and satellite bundles, but also in a direct con- to consumer fashion. The NBA and NHL are essentially preparing to do the same thing and getting a little bit nervous about it because the timeline for this keeps creeping closer and closer. We're at the end of September here, and there's going to be a lot of teams due money pretty soon. Good quote in the Sports Business Journal story, quote, I would characterize it right now, not necessarily as a black cloud, with a gr- but a gray cloud hanging over us without a doubt. That was magic Orlando Magic CEO Alex Martins. Their payment is due November 1st. We're all sort of sitting anxiously to see what happens with the Bally bankruptcy. And I have to imagine all of the teams in the NBA and particularly the NHL, which relies pretty heavily on local TV revenue, I would imagine they are all sitting here wondering exactly what's going to happen. Now, the games are still going to be on one way or the other. That's what I want to emphasize. That's the same thing with baseball. If you know, if it's not exactly the league's taking over, something will happen where the games are still shown, but it probably would be a league takeover, at least in the short term, for both of these entities if Diamond Sports ceases to exist and all of these broadcast rights revert back to the leagues and the teams. But it is a very tenuous position right now um, for for everybody, I would say. And there's just a lot of unknowns and a lot of those unknowns coming to a head this week. I don't know exactly how it will affect the Timberwolves in the wild, but I have to imagine they're kind of in the same kind of position that the uh, that the Orlando Magic articulated here, just as I, the quote I read just a few minutes ago, where they're kind of sitting here waiting and wondering how that piece of their business is going to function, especially as they get very close. They're just weeks away from the start of the NHL season and the NBA season. How will that affect these teams? Deadlines this week will help us sort a lot of that out as we try to figure out the future of these teams. And the Twins, kind of in a similar place, although they're in a much um, they're more they're in a more advantageous position because their contract, like we've talked about many times, their contract with Diamond Sports and Bally Sports North that that ended at the end of the 2023 season. They are free to negotiate a different deal, find a different option, even if 
Valley Sports and Diamond Sports are able to get their act together and, and find some sort of way forward out of all this. So they're not dependent on these two. They won't have to make up a plan on the fly. They can have something else in place by the start of the 2024 season if they want to. But all of these teams, Twins, Wild, uh, Timberwolves, um, Lynx to an extent too because they're cover- they're carried a lot on Valley Sports North. They are all sitting here waiting, wondering what is going to happen. We should get some clarity this week, but that clarity could come with a whiplash effect of, okay, all of a sudden you've got to find a new place to carry these games right before the seasons are going to start. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune, for a little film review. Rewatch the film of that game at your own peril, everybody, because um, that was not pretty in some regard. I mean, the, the thing, though, Andrew, is this, and I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of the specifics, but like the Vikings did some good things against Sunday. It's not like they've not like every game you can't look at and say, you know, it's not like they're getting blown out or not like they're not doing anything right. They're just doing enough things wrong to lose these games this year. Whereas last year in those thin margins, they were really doing them right. But um, you know, two things stood out to us, I think, as we kind of talked through this. And the first one was the red zone offense has been pretty bad this year, especially at home. Is it one for four in touchdown percentage, including the big one at the end? on Sunday, Andrew, and then one for three, I think, in the opener against Tampa Bay. They've got to be able to convert those opportunities into touchdowns, at least field goals. I mean, there's been a couple turnovers down there, too. Yeah, and they can't run the ball as, as many as much as they gained uh, with the rushing attack on Sunday, which started with like five straight runs for 31 yards for Alexander Madison. He finally got that going. Um, once they get into those condensed areas where they need to move bodies, this finesse offensive line um, is not powerful enough to do that. And we saw that time and again on Sunday as well. They tried to run it at the goal line a couple times and got stuffed. Um, one time I thought Alexander Madison took a curious path where he kind of angled um, the run inside a bit too quickly and might have had some room if he had bounced it outside. Um, so sometimes this isn't on the blocking, but overall, they just haven't had that success. And last year they found a way to do it last year. They were a good red zone offense in general. And I think they had something like 18 rushing touchdowns and 14 of them were from within, you know, the 10, 15 yard line. Um, they weren't a big play rushing offense, but when they got down there, they could do it. Um, they're not finding that success right now, early on. And the chargers are one of those fronts that you would have hoped to have seen that, um, where Kirk has to drop back. I think not the time where he threw the interception at the very end of the game, but the red zone stand in the second half before that, I think it was the fourth quarter. He had to throw the ball on third and three, you know, third and goal from the three, fourth and goal from the three. Um, That's a situation where you would like some creativity from the play caller. If you can't run the ball straight up, um, find some way to reverse it or do something to, to get the ball in the end zone uh, and not rely on Kirk having to drop back, against a pass rush that once again was hitting him pretty often. Yeah, I mean, that, you're th- talking about that sequence, and I wanted to bring that up because it was, you're right, it was they got first and goal at the three, 
Madison ran once for two yards to the one. So it's second and goal from the one. It's like four minutes left in the game. Next play is Madison losing a yard, and then it's two cousins incompletions. I mean, if, if Madison can get in, I mean, you'd like to think that three cracks from the one you can get in with your running game, but when the, when the first crack you take from the one goes back a yard, you are influenced in your decision-making. And if they just don't feel like that's a good option from the one, they've got to do something different. But that's that's kind of a pretty sad admission, especially, like you said, they were running the ball pretty well, but if they don't feel like when they get into those condensed spaces they can get any kind of push, then it kind of takes Madison's power game out of play, takes a quarterback sneak maybe out of play, or you, you don't feel as good about a quarterback sneak if you can't get that kind of push, and you are limited to kind of tricking them or finding some sort of quick pass play And then you're asking Cousins to make quick decisions, and sometimes that hasn't always worked out great. Yeah, and and right now, too, they just don't have the confidence in in their red zone offense to have Kirk pull up and and throw a bunch of touchdowns. They would like some easy scores. (laughs) That kind of gets the momentum going. It gets that confidence going. Where Right now, they're just kind of a big play offense where you need that 50-yard touchdown, the 30-yarder to Addison, all those things. Um, that running game just kind of calms everybody down and, and eases that in there. And um, they didn't have that to lean on as much as they, again, as much as they did find some room to lean on that in between the 20s. Why is that? Because last year we were look. I was looking up the stats. I think they were like eighth in the NFL last year in red zone offense. They were second in the NFL in home red zone offense. They converted like more than 80% of their red zone trips into touchdowns last season. And this year at home, it's like 29%. That's a huge difference. That's maybe aside from the touchdowns, maybe the biggest story. I mean, sorry, in terms of, in addition to the the turnovers, that's maybe the biggest story of those two home losses, at least. I mean, some of the personnel is different. Obviously Dalvin cook is gone. Adam Thielen is gone. Maybe there's a little bit of an underrated, missed there because he over the years was very good in the red zone but you if you look at all of their offensive weapons offensive line aside and a lot of that's the same as it was last year like with everybody they have with Addison with Jefferson with Hawkinson even Osborne um, a second tight end sometimes it baffles me that they don't have a better concept of how to get the ball into the end zone from you know five yards in yeah, some of it's execution too. Some of it's just the plays aren't being made. Um, uh, and I know players like to say that. And Harrison Smith was asked about that from the defense's perspective, and in terms of like just basically was set up to blame coaches and, and saying, "Is there something that they can do differently?" And um, he just said, "No, we just need to make some of these plays where it's one play here or there." And, that, and with all these one-score games, that's kind of what it's been. And if you go back and look at the plays, so you're talking about the red zone execution. Um, the third and goal um, one stands out to me from that sequence we were just talking about from the three where I believe that was the one where um, Joey Bosa beat Brian O'Neill off the right side and just hit Cousins' arm as he was throwing it. And it was an incomplete pass where Madison was coming open right in the flat. And that's one where it's it's probably a touchdown because he's kind of by himself. Um, so, But because Bosa just gets that step on O'Neal. It, it leads to that disruption. And then on the last sequence before the interception, when they were hurrying up to the line in the closing minutes, um, there was kind of a curl and go route that KJ Osborne duped somebody on. Yeah, that was the was, first down play, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's one where he just had the ball right outstretched on his fingertips and doesn't make that catch. If he makes that catch, maybe he's stumbling into the end zone. It's a completely different finish. And then at the end there, Jordan Addison also had a near touchdown catch in the end zone that came out of his hands 
on a play that I think the Chargers were flagged on. So the, the play ended up not mattering, but it could have been a touchdown. It could have declined that penalty if he would have hung on to that football. So in general, there's just enough plays here or there that the, you've seen the Vikings make. You've seen Adam Thielen come down with those catches. You've certainly seen Justin Jefferson do it. Um, there was also a second and goal there where TJ Hawkinson got knocked down yeah. on a route and cousins had nowhere to go. And, and I think he ended up throwing that one away or through the back of the end zone. Um, so I think execution plays a big part in it, certainly. And again, that's where running the football really helps you. If yeah. you have something to turn to when that, that passing game is not totally clicking. Jefferson, I think for all, for all of his greatness gets a surprising, lack of of red zone targets sometimes i don't think he had a i don't know how many touchdowns he had last year but the one he had in this game the 50 yarder that was his first touchdown of the year right like it feels like he should be kind of the trump card in all this but maybe when it's the condensed space it's easier to kind of shut him down a little bit or pay more attention to him because you can have you can use the boundaries and it's not as hard but that to me seems like you've got justin jefferson how can that not be the the ultimate weapon down there you would like to see them scheme him up more like a Devonte Adams, more like one of these guys that can really go solo up at the top and just kind of throw a fade ball or a jump ball to him. Um, you don't see them want to do that very often in this offense. And at least last year, they didn't have to, you know, they were able to get him these bigger touchdown, um, some touchdowns from bigger plays and then find ways to score elsewhere in the end zone. I think part of that's quarterback. I really do. You hear so much about Cousins being the guy who takes what the defense gives him, and they're certainly not going to give him Justin Jefferson in the end zone in a favorable look. You're going to have to force it up there in a 50-50 shot, and they just don't take that many of those with Cousins. Yeah. In his career, Jefferson now with 26 touchdown catches among his 351 grabs. I'm not saying, you know, he's had 7, 10, and 8 in those uh in those in those first three years, but you you would think someone of his caliber, his size, you know, he had 128 catches last year, but just eight touchdowns. You would think he might have more than that. So maybe that's something they can work on to get him. You know, 12 or 13 seems like a, a number that would be more uh, more palatable to uh, to him and to uh, to some uh, some others going forward. Now let's let's switch over to defense because we we saw the Chargers. I think. Justin Herbert completed what 40 passes. Like it was just a, a, a bonkers number of Vikings opponents this season have completed like 76% of their passes. Those quarterbacks, especially Jalen hurts and, um, and Herbert has been, have been pretty content to kind of take the intermediate stuff, beating a lot of those blitzes that, uh, that, that uh, Brian Flores keeps firing out. And he was, that was something else Sunday. He was like relentless with the attempts, at least at getting to the quarterback. Yeah, there were very few plays where Justin Herbert was not blitzed. Um, we thought, you know, the Vikings were already ranking tops in the rate and in, in blitz rate across the league through two weeks. We thought, you know, that's kind of going to be the cruising altitude for Brian Flores. And he goes out there and I think it was 80 percent. ESPN 80%, said yeah. <laughs> blitzes. Um, and I counted it up and Herbert went 30 of 36 against the blitz for 293 yards and three touchdowns. This guy was executing every blitz that was coming his way. He had the answer. He had the quick out. Um, and the Chargers did a great job with Kellen Moore as their coordinator now, the former Cowboys coordinator, of finding those answers and setting them up for him and expecting it. Because at this point, you have to expect it with Brian Flores. Um, and the Vikings, again, did not have that counter to consistently keep the quick game down. And the, the worst part is they gave up the big plays. They gave up a bunch of 25 yarders to Keenan Allen, the 35 yarder to Mike Williams, 
all of which coming against the blitz and all of which, uh, and the 49 yard touchdown, I should mention um, from Keenan Allen to Mike Williams, all of that coming in times where the Vikings were bringing pressure and they were just kind of playing and toying with them. Um, the chargers started with a bunch of screens and then that fake touchdown um, with, with Keenan Allen throwing to Mike Williams comes at a point where they do the same motion they'd done four times prior the fifth time, though, they decide not to run the screen. They decide to pull up and throw it. I mean, those are the kind of things that at the end, the defense is just saying, what do we do? Um, no matter what we guess, we're wrong. The comical thing on that Keenan Allen touchdown pass is that there were two wide receivers that were completely wide open. Like he could have taken his pick on on either of two guys that were clear by at least 10 yards. And so that, that just shows you an aggressive defense can be had in a certain way. A lot of it was 10 and 12 yard stuff, but a lot of it, I mean, those those moved the chains all the same and led to 28 points, well over 400 yards, and another Vikings loss. Now, I think the, the questions we need to ask are, A, like, are these blitzes effective? Like, if, if this is happening, do, does Flores need to recalibrate what he's doing? Well, they don't have the pass rushers to stop them with four. Yes. And even, even when Justin Herbert faced a four-man rush, he was still doing a pretty good job. Um, because the pressure wasn't getting to him. There was one third down where Daniel Hunter was chipped on a four-man rush, and that gave him plenty of time to step up and fire for a first down throw. And then the problem also is personnel, because when they blitz, they're right there. Herbert was able to evade it and miss. There was one um, play I'm, I'm remembering where he missed Harrison Phillips and Josh Metellus. Uh, to find an open Keenan Allen for 25 yards. And then the first touchdown for a few yards is a sidearm pass around Josh Metellus, who's coming in. Um, there's just many times where the Vikings are right there, and they're right there nearing to, to, to uh, disrupt him, but they just weren't able to make that play. And Herbert's a great quarterback. He's going to do those things, and he was really on on Sunday, where we've seen him play not as good and not as well against the Vikings um, in the past. Um, but then the problem is that they don't have the guys to play one-on-one against, um, Keenan Allen against Mike Williams. Uh, Caleb Evans had a really rough day, um, tipping a would be interception into, or will be, uh, yeah, pick into a touchdown, uh, getting flagged on another pass that he got beat deep on and then giving up a bunch of underneath stuff. But then Byron Murphy was supposed to be the star corner brought in. He got beat a few times by Keenan Allen as well. Um, Keenan Allen was just beating whoever they put across from him. Uh, it was no contest. No, and you know, getting back to the pass rush too. I mean, last year they had Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith as their primary edge rushers, and you know, Smith's effectiveness maybe waned a little bit as the year went on with his knee injury. But those guys were largely there and largely applying a decent amount of pressure, even when they rushed four in that Ed Donatel scheme. This year, no Zadarius Smith. They bring in Marcus Davenport to to hopefully kind of supply that same level of pass rush. But, you know, there was skepticism from some of us because of Davenport's output last year, which was what half a sack and his injury history. He's barely been on the field this year. He's been that he's had that ankle problem. That's got to be a big piece of this. This whole thing is like the mystery of when's Davenport going to come back and how much can he help? Yeah, Kevin O'Connell brought him up when he was asked about, you know, do you have the personnel? Um, is, is blitzing basically a product of, you know, what you want to do, or is it because you don't have the guys to get there with four? And O'Connell basically said, yeah, we really need Marcus Davenport back. So it's a reminder that these high blitz rates from Brian Flores, while it's historically what he likes to do, 
Uh, it's also coming with a Vikings defense that is is missing uh, one of its top two pass rushers. And really that guy that was supposed to be the counter to Daniil Hunter when he was getting all of those um, chips and blocks and double teams like the Chargers threw at him. And Davenport, for all that he lacked in his sack numbers, um, physically, he's a, he's a very large man. He's very good at what he does when, when he's engaged and when he's um, finishing plays. And he admitted to not doing that as well in his fifth year in New Orleans last year. Uh, that was a red flag. Uh, it was a red flag that he's got this injury history and now this ankle injury that Kevin O'Connell called unique and said wasn't responding to treatment in a way that would help him heal quickly. Um, so he's now missed three games essentially because he only played four snaps in that game at Philadelphia. Um, and he didn't practice last week. So we need to see if he's even going to be on track to come back this week or if they're going to have to put him on injured reserve. It's that's a horrible start for that acquisition. Um, the entire draft class of 2022 didn't play mm. on defense other than mm. a Caleb Evans. Um, it's it's been something for you know some of the young development that you wanted to see, and then certainly with Davenport, the big free agent addition. Well, the young development they were counting so much on too. I mean, that was the big offseason narrative was hey, you know, it, it's you know, maybe these guys didn't produce a lot in 2022, but wait till 2023. Ah, uh, we waited till 2023. Ain't happening so far. Um, you mentioned a unique, a unique injury. Um, the Vikings keep finding unique ways to injure themselves this year on the field. 0 and three, all of them one score games. I mean, this is not a film study review uh, kind of question. Maybe we can end with this. Like, the psyche of this team has got to be taken to hit at a certain point. You know, they they know they're 0 and three. Everything went right last year. Nothing's gone right this year. Like, where do they go from here at this point? Like, how do they kind of feel good about themselves, especially when two of the next four are against Kansas city and San Francisco, like really good teams. Yeah. I do think that gets lost too. When we analyze these things and we talk about the numbers and the plays and all that, but just seeing the, the kind of pain and anguish on some of these guys faces after each of these losses, because they've all been pretty close and it have hit different position groups and different sides of the ball differently. But um, you could tell the offensive line and the running backs like Madison and all of them, they, they really wanted to prove a point in this game and thought that they had got something going and to get shut down at the goal line as often as they did. Um, this does kind of undercut uh, a lot of the you know wind, be, you know, beneath their sails and kind of the momentum they had going into this year. Um, and I felt like Sunday was that kind of angry response game, at least from those position groups I was talking about. Um, cause they start off with those five runs and those 30 yards. And it looked like they were really, uh, trying to go out there and, and put a different foot forward, but the same result happens. And yeah, I, guys just don't have much response and, you know, in terms of answers or, you know, when you talk about how do you keep losing these close games? Um, there's only so many things you can point to. And again, same results Sunday with the two fumbles or, you know, a defense buckling at the wrong time. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to wear on this team, and this is a young team too. It's it's leaders are few and far between, with from Harrison Smith and Kirk to to Jordan Hicks. Um, this is a young team that that kind of needs that momentum, I think, more than a veteran team might. As Mike Zimmer might say, other than that, it's been great. Um, <laughs> Andrew, appreciate it as always. We'll see how they do next week yep. in Carolina. I mean, that's is it two? Is that two zero and three teams? I mean, it is. Already, Adam, the battle of zero and twos. Now we get the battle of zero and threes. Adam Thielen already called that. It's going to be like a playoff type game. The former Vikings <laughs> receiver said because they're both fighting to save their seasons. So well, yeah, tune in. We'll see. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Mike.
just an addendum to that conversation with Andrew Kramer. Uh, I thought Kevin O'Connell was very interesting in his uh, his Monday press conference, kind of digesting everything that happened on Sunday, kind of taking a, a, a global look at this team, you know, calling it a big test, talking a lot about ball security. He had some interesting things to say about ball security. I might hang on to some of that audio for later in the week because I thought it was important. It might, might fit better into kind of leading into next week's game against Carolina. But you can tell that he is annoyed, beyond annoyed right now, at what's going on with this team, about what is happening on the field and all the little things that are happening that they weren't doing last year. So interesting times for the Vikings and head coach Kevin O'Connell. It's poetry time, Vikus on Daily Deliverer are spicier, I think, when they lose. Last year, we barely had an opportunity to really realize that. But my goodness, um, Keith, we have had a lot of chances already for some spicy haikus uh vikus if you will i'm told you have some poetry for me today yes i do let's uh let's let's dive right into the first one um off of that 28 to 24 loss to the chargers haiku number one it is strange to see political statements from flt What was the political statement? Well, see, this is I don't I don't I don't fully understand myself. I just know that there's one here, right? Okay. Clearly the Minnesota Vikings are making some profound statement okay. about the Second Amendment because they keep shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> right? Okay. And I can't tell. I was like, did I miss I something tell. or are you going somewhere with this? Okay, okay, continue, please. Right. I can't tell if it's like a pro Second Amendment thing where I don't care what you do. I'm going to keep my guns even if I keep shooting myself in the foot. Right. Or if it's an anti Second Amendment thing where look what happens when we don't have responsible gun regulation. I keep shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. But they keep doing uh, it. They keep doing it. Like so we have this profound political statement about shooting themselves in the foot. They do. Um yeah, and it was it was a lot of things on Sunday. It's never it's it has it's been some of the same things all year. It's been the turnovers. Uh, the ni- the nice thing they added yesterday was the <laughs> the the uh, Caleb Evans play where he went right through his hands and like bonked around a couple times, and it was that was the go ahead touchdown. It, it it was a completely different kind of play. But it reminded me of that stupid play from the '90s where Ed, Mc- I think it was from the oh. '90s, where Ed McCaffrey caught that ball after like two Vikings defenders collided in the end zone. They like either one of them could have intercepted it, and instead it like bounced off of both of them, and it went for uh, an, a, a touchdown in the closing seconds. You remember that game? I think we we might have been watching that game what? together. He did what? <laughs> Al Michaels, yeah, bellowing. He did what? Yeah, yeah, I remember that stupid game. I remember that game. Um, well, that gets so, into gets into the, the another haiku okay, that I think. Okay, be. good. All right, I figured it might. Season of whimsy is nothing but memories. A season of poop. <laughs> season of poop. I mean, so far it's it's that's that's as good a description as I can fine for it uh it's it's not been good and i think here's the thing i think i think some of us 
like kind of saw this coming, but then it's still surprising when you see it happen, right? Because it's like everything went so well for them last year. Like in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, maybe they just maybe maybe Kevin O'Connell is made out of magic or like something is like something about this is just, it's just going to be a charmed kind of existence as long as, you know, this kind of combination is, is in place. And then it's like, Nope, Nope. It's just right back to what they were doing in 2021 and 2020 and yeah, skipped a little bit of 2019, but a lot of 2018 and a lot of 2016 and, and so on and so forth that it's just, a lot of those close games in the end, they just don't have it, and it's not been a good season so far. Well, the, the, not to get too philosophical here, but uh, the universe does seem to tend to balance itself out now, doesn't it? Yes. Right? And so after that season of whimsy, as we declared it last year, we're, we're feeling the opposite effects. And so you've yes. got a ball bouncing off a defensive back's hands. you got an inability to... Um, get the ball in the end zone when you need it. Uh, we'll talk about the fourth quarter in just a minute here. Mm-hmm. There might be another haiku mm-hmm. about all that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but none of the breaks are going their way. And, you know, it's, it's the flip side of what we got to experience last year. Last year we yes. were all, we, we talked week after week. Uh, we better enjoy this because right? yeah. <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. This doesn't happen. This is not the way it goes. Uh, and this season feels like just the complete opposite, right? It's like it cannot always be this bad, can it? No. It cannot always be this horrible, right? And so we're in this weird cycle where it's it's all of one and then all of the other, it feels like. Which is funny because I asked Cousins about that last week. I was like, you know, everything went your way last year, not so far this year. He's like, well, we like to think that last year – kind of was the antidote to everything else that had already happened. That got us back to square. And so I think we're going to be okay from now on. And uh, apparently that was not the case uh, Sunday. What's your third Vaiku? Who shoulders the blame? Kirk and O'Connell tell us. Look to yourself, fan. <laughs> Is it it's the fans' fault? What did the fans do? Well, so there was a lot of conversation afterwards oh, about how yeah. there was too much noise. Right. And- yep and they couldn't communicate and, and these dying seconds. So that's why they had to bleed 22 seconds off the clock while they're fighting for their life after getting a, a miracle fourth down to pot- potentially win this game. That somehow somehow there was some blame to be had by the fans because it was so loud in this. It right. Certainly, uh, they could not accept all of the blame for themselves for and not having enough sense to just clock the ball in the first place, which, by the way, I think is utterly cowardly. I think it is it is a symptom of a larger problem with this team and with this quarterback and how the philosophy is, right? You have a player who many consider the second best player in the NFL, right, in Justin Jefferson. Right. You've got the highest paid tight end in the league. You've got an exciting rookie wide receiver that everybody's excited about. You've got a running back who was having a really nice bounce back game and who is at least competent. Right. You've got a third receiver who's done some things for you in the past. All of your best players are on offense. Right. But in your effort to 
to rush to the line and, and catch the other team off guard, right? Everything gets muddled and, and messed up in that moment. But instead of trusting your best players, right, including the one that everybody says is the second best player on the team or on the in the league who had 150 yards and a touchdown and another amazing game, right? You want to rush up and and catch these other guys off guard and you know somehow trick them Too instead cute. of trusting. Too cute. Yes, it, instead of trusting the personnel that you have, and you have a quarterback who had played a very nice game to that point, right? And kind of seems to have this pattern where he has a way of playing very nice games to this to a certain point, and then things break down. But instead of trusting those players, like you said, they're trying to get a little too cute, and then they end up, uh, again, shooting themselves in the foot in a way that demonstrates that perhaps they don't have enough of that type of swagger or confidence in who they are and what they do that the really good teams actually have. If you believe in your personnel, Clock the stupid ball. Don't worry about what the other team is doing. Do what you want to do, yes. right? Do what you do best with the best wide receiver in the league, with a quarterback who's playing well, with all these other players. And so it just drives me nuts that there was any suggestion whatsoever that somehow the fans had something to do with the miscommunication when they shouldn't have been doing it in that way in the first place. Trust who you have instead of this gimmicky, useless nonsense that ends up uh, blowing up in your face and and with the per- worst possible outcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted them to run another play, but preferably not at 12 seconds. I didn't want them to clock the ball there just because I felt like that would give away a down that they didn't necessarily have to give away in that moment. But the point, the larger point you're making is a good one. Like if their motivation in that was to keep the other team's defense on the field versus what they wanted to do, then that's a skew. Then that's that they should be leaning into what they do best, not what the other team, like a perceived weakness for the other team. So I, I agree with you in the in the principle of that of that rant. Well, it's almost the the flip side of what we were dealing with Zimmer a couple of years ago, right? Zimmer had so much faith and trust in his defense, even if it was clear to everybody else that they were by far the the weakness of the team, right? That he would rely on his defense to his own fault. But then we got O'Connell, who uh, is getting way too cute, as far as I can tell, with what he's trying to do with this stuff. And and it's his offensive genius and 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 the team's offensive genius and and trying to to win in the margins in right. this in this space when you be relying on your best players. Yeah. I agree. What's your fourth Vaiku before we get out of here? All right. What more do you need? Can we please do the right thing? Please just blow it up. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to blow it up yet. You know that. We know that. And they, they, but they are on. They're on a path. They're on a path. Like let's let's play this out. Like two of their, so two of their next four games are road games against probably two of the worst teams in the league, the Bears and. The, the Panthers and the Panthers is next week. Um, the other two are against 
our home games against two of the two probably best teams in the league, the 49ers and the Chiefs. Um, you got to imagine they're not going to be anything better than two and five coming out of this stretch. I see no, I just don't understand how they would beat either of those really good teams, even at home. Um, and at that point, you'd be 0-4 at home. You'd be 2-5. and The trade deadline would be days away. You'd have a game against Green Bay. You might go 2-6 and after that game. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I don't know what their palette is, but it's clear that they're not on a one- or two-year championship trajectory. They're not even on a one-year playoff trajectory right now. Everything dictates that yes you would blow this up that cousins isn't your guy next year that maybe you try to trade him if you can you try to trade daniel hunter if you don't think he's coming back problem is they don't have much otherwise like you're setting yourself up for a pretty big rebuild and you have to make sure that jefferson's happy and you know who throws him the ball has a certain amount of that so i think they should blow it up but i don't know how fast they're gonna do it well but I think that the rebuild could be relatively quick, right? I don't think that they're necessarily that far off. If you have a Justin Jefferson, right, that's going to make the life of a rookie quarterback a whole heck of a lot easier. And they've got other problems, too. They don't have enough talent on defense, which is no. clear. They, um, their rebuilt offensive line for the last 15 years that they've been trying to rebuild is still terrible. Right. So they've got lots of things that they need to do. But this is a year where you've got some really good quarterback prospects at, mm-hmm. the, at the top and you could find a way. And, and you have a couple of pieces, a couple of pieces that would be valuable. You can't trade everybody away. Right. But no. you can you can trade to Neil. And if you can get Kirk to wave his no trade clause. Right. You, you're going to get something significant for yes. that or useful for that. And even if you can't get him to trade his no or wave his no trade clause. It might be worth taking a look at Jaron Hall for the rest of the <laughs> rest right. of the season. Yeah. Uh, just to see what we got there, just to figure it out. And and that's and that's the way you could probably sell cousins on a trade is like, hey, look, like we're we're you're either getting traded or we're gonna take a look at Jaron Hall. And do you want to go into free agency sitting on the bench for half a year or do you want to go try to win somewhere else? And so you've got two pieces that can bring you back something. You you know, you're not getting anything for other players or what have you. We don't need to point out anybody in specifically, but you have the ability to get a little bit of capital, right? You have a draft where you have some pretty good quarterback talent. If you can really get yourself to where you need to be. And if you can build a little something there and get rid of some of the, that contract, stuff that's eating up the salary cap uh you are setting yourself up i think for a much quicker type of of rebound than we might project or that we might think of if we're talking about a traditional tank where you're looking at three like what the chicago bears are doing right it's been bad for a while and it's not getting any better anytime soon right but the bears don't have some of the pieces that the vikings have true and so, and and if you can get a better quarterback than what the Bears might be might have right now, I think you really actually could turn this around much more quickly. And so, this is the one year. This is the one year where you only win a maximum of two games, and you figure out how to do that while gaining some assets because you actually do have some pieces, unlike your usual really bad teams that don't have anybody that anybody else wants. 
Last year was the competitive. This year is the rebuild in the Quasi plan. We'll see. All we want is clarity. I mean, you you can't ask for anything more than clarity, right? What you don't want is eight and nine because then you don't get the draft pick and then you're like, ah, you know, maybe we keep some of this together and try to kind of wing it on the fly and then it just kind of perpetuates itself. All you want is clarity. This is this. Yes. (laughs) Another year stuck in the middle. How do you get out? How do you, if this year you don't bottom out, how do you ever get out of being stuck in that middle? I don't know. I don't think you do. Trying times always bring out the best and the artist and the poet. And I think, uh, I think that is certainly the case here with these Vikings, Vikus uh, this season. So hope you guys are enjoying those as well. Let's finish with the cooler. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the Twins would be playing the Astros in the, uh, in the wildcard round. And I don't think that's the preferred. Uh, preferred opponent, a team with a ton of you know playoff history, postseason pedigree, World Series champs. Um, I don't know if that's the team you want to face. They are in a tailspin right now. Not necessarily that's how is that's how it's going to be when things finish up. But right now, that is how it is looking. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you if you get to pick or what you would want to do or how you exactly would would choose your opponent. But right now, it would be the Astros, and I don't know if that's what you want. That's the last team that beat the Twins in the playoffs in 2020. Not quite to Yankees nemesis level yet, but that is not necessarily the team you want to see if you are a division winner. So we'll see how that shakes out in the next few days. That'll do it for me here today. Um, Should have good stuff coming up tomorrow. A little break from all the football. Football, um, Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune expected to join me talk Gophers men's basketball. That practice started this week, so we'll get some Gopher basketball talk, some hockey talk later this week, too, with Sarah McClellan, who covers the Wild for the Star Tribune, so look for that later this week. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.